This is the Luke Thomas Show podcast. You can listen to the full show weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. Today on the Luke Thomas Show podcast, we're going to give you updates on Rose Namajunas being out of UFC 249, Dominic Cruz being in at UFC 250. We'll catch up with UFC strawweight Tatiana Suarez here on the show. Plus, we're going to go over some interesting developments from the New York Times reporting about UFC 249. The Luke Thomas Show airs weekdays at 3 p.m. right here on Sirius XM Fight Nation, channel 156. Don't forget about the mailbag, Show at gmail.com. We do have news to get to, so not a moment to waste. Let's get to it. So there are two pieces that I want to get to. One is the more pressing of the two, just in terms of its timeliness. Uh, if you guys did not hear, Rose Namajunas is off of UFC 249. She was scheduled to be on the card in a rematch against Jessica Andrade. Uh, this comes to us from ESPN. Quote, uh, she won't be there. The reasons are considered, quote, undisclosed. Uh, and the card, which was fully formed apparently earlier this week, um, after coronavirus related scheduling, shuffling, will still take place at an unknown location. Um, Combate in Brazil was the first to report Nama Yunus' change of plans. Now, she has not fought since Andrade knocked her out at UFC 237 last May. Um, yeah, Andrade, on the other hand, hasn't fought since losing the belt to Zhang Wiley in the first round TKO last August. So, undisclosed reasons are what they're getting to here. Now, naturally, while what I'm about to get to is not fair, what I'm about to get to is inevitable, which is speculation. So I want to be as fair as I can to all the various forms of speculation that we could potentially have here. Here's what I mean by that. Let's talk about the one that's probably at the front of your mind. Certainly the front of mine. Namely, she just doesn't want to fight in the middle of a pandemic. Right? I mean, we, we, we know that some fighters don't mind. We know that some fighters maybe don't like it, but they want to get the money. We know some fighters don't care. I don't want to say that there's any kind of one singular fighter position on these issues. They tend to vary. Uh, it's hard to know what roses might be. But my... How about this? Rather than saying my hunch. In thinking about plausible reasons this could happen, if it was injury, we would know by now. Plus, they're probably not getting in enough training to really have significant injury threat. Not, not in the way that they normally do anyway, right? There's just less training volume. If there's less training volume, um, in general, I think there's going to be certain circumstances where this is not the case. But in general, it's probably going to lower your chances of getting injured. But listen... If you're Rose Namajunas, here's what you're up against, right? Um, you probably, I mean, yes, I know it's been reported that Tachi Palace is going to be the place where the UFC is posted up. But I talked to, um, I've been talking to some fighters who are either training uh, as cornermen or coaches or even on this card. A lot of them have still not been given specific details straight from the UFC about where the venue is. And how they're going to get there. Some might be driving if they're close. Others are going to fly in. And those details apparently are not really all that clear. Uh, on top of that, you know, there's a question of what the protocol will be day to day. My understanding is that information has just not been released yet. Which doesn't say they don't have it. But there might be some lines of communication that are just not being fully used. 
on top of that, you may just say to yourself, dude, what's the risk here? Like, even if I can go to this thing and fight and win, uh, am I going to have to quarantine myself for two weeks? What if I lose and now I damage my record uh, and I get half my money because I'm not fully prepared? And I know what some folks might be saying. They might be saying, well, listen, if you were concerned about all of this, why not have just done something a little bit earlier? Like, if you knew you were going to feel this way, you know, figure this out before. But there's a, there's a response to that, too, which is um, maybe she wanted to give the UFC the benefit of the doubt or she wanted to give them as much in, like, time as possible to figure it out. And then by the time the card got announced, she still felt like, and again, this is speculative, that there weren't enough details being shared. That when it was time to make a call based on the information that was available, there just wasn't enough or what was available was simply not comforting to her. Recall, you know, she has dealt with in the past, I think, some anxiety and mental health issues. I could only imagine those would be exacerbated under the current conditions. Even if the UFC's event will be completely safe, such as we understand the term, there's an open question about um, how someone who might have some concerns about that in both traveling and in being there and not having enough detail would process all of it. I, I just can't get up in arms about Rose Namajunas doing what she's doing if, in fact, that is the call. Can't get upset about it. Really just can't. I, I completely if, if, I sympathize if that is really what's motivating her. And I would hope that most of you would agree. Listen, as I said, there's not one single position that all the fighters are adopting. That's really not what's happening here. Everyone's kind of got a, a bit of a different feel. And there might be some that believe more in one view than the other, but we don't have any surveys to that effect. We don't really know. I want to let fighters decide. I mean, listen, I've said before, I don't think the event should go forward. But I respect that fighters are going to have different views on this matter. And, and I think you, you should too. But that cuts both ways. That cuts in one way for the ones who want to do this, and it cuts the other way for the ones who don't. And if that's really what's motivating her... I really don't have any issue with it. And I would suspect, honestly, you're probably going to see more of this to some extent. Not necessarily for a reason where, like, the person is grappling with anxiety or, um, you know, some kind of pre-existing condition that can get exacerbated by unusual circumstances. But it may just be a cost-benefit analysis kind of thing. For example... If you live in one of these hotspot areas and you've been safe and you're social distancing and you've got even a garage gym and blah, 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 which puts you ahead of the game in, in actually a lot of ways, you may still decide, look, I can get the road work in. You know, I can run on the treadmill. I'm not tired, uh, but I'm just not really prepared for uh, a combative exercise. I got to bow this one out because the cost of me doing this, including potentially con contracting COVID-19, is just too high, Right. Versus, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with anxiety or something like that. They may have none of those reasons. I think you have to ex accept that. And, and listen, if there are other ones where they say, I don't really care about any of these challenges, I would like to get paid. And I mean, I don't agree with that, but I can certainly understand that perspective too. Am I in any way surprised by it? Are you surprised by somebody in the middle of a situation waiting on a paycheck, wanting to find a way to get that paycheck? Can, you know, you want, it's a human thing, especially if they have kids and you know any other kind of uh, expense or responsibility out there. I don't agree with the decision, but I can respect where they're coming from with it, right? 
Um, but I also think that's where guidance on potential unemployment benefits for independent contractors comes in. We've tried to do that on this show. There's an article out there on Bloody Elbow about it. I think they should take advantage of it. Also, the other factor to consider here is I do not exactly know what Rose's financial situation is, but it's worth thinking about which fighters stay and which fighters go. The ones who can say, eh, I'll pass, are probably, and again, this is not going to be true in every case, but I'm going to guess that the fighters who are um, more financially well-off are going to be in a better position to say no thank you. Just think about it logically, right? Now, that's not entirely true because Tony Ferguson has made good money. That's not entirely true because you know Justin Gaethje's been in a lot of main events and has won some bonuses. It won't be true across the board. But for those who feel like they have an unease about it, in conjunction with some financial, let's say, cushion, they are in all likelihood going to be one of the kinds of folks that says, I'll pass, more than, let's say, any other group. So this is a situation with Rose Nami Yunus to monitor. I don't think this will be the last fight to fall off this card, um, if the card even happens at all. So let's just keep all of that in mind, and we'll figure out, well, I, I should say, we'll try to figure out what those reasons might be, but if I had to speculate, however you know, limited the information we're all working with here is undisclosed reasons. Could be anything. I could be way off on this. She might have really wanted to do it and then decided, you know, um, something else happened. You know, something happened to a family member, God forbid, right? It could be, could be anything. But it's at least worth considering that as a, as a leading possibility. I don't think that's crazy uh, given our current public health conditions, right? Now, that's not the only change that has, uh, well, this one's not become official, but not the only change I should say that's been reported. It has been reported, and we'll get to those in just a minute, that Dominic Cruz, UFC commentator, former bantamweight champion, friend of the sport, you could say, has decided, or been tapped rather, to... um, Fight Henry Cejudo for the bantamweight title at UFC 250. Isn't that something? Talking to the biggest names in pro wrestling. Friend of the show, Cody Rhodes. I particularly told people living in fear is no way to live. And honestly, I just wanted the platform to say that we're all in this together and that we're going to get through this. And please enjoy the two hours of hopefully escape and distraction uh, we have for you tonight. I, this is a very unique time for a wrestler. Busted Open, Monday through Saturday, 10 a.m. to noon Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation. It has not been confirmed by the UFC at this point. I don't believe that's right. But uh, there have been reports and some kinds of online confirmation, let's say, that Jose Aldo is out of his fight at UFC 250 with Henry Cejudo, and then filling in for him is going to be Dominic Cruz. Okay, here's how we got there, if in fact this is true. And I want to be clear, UFC has not confirmed that this is the case. But, first things first, from uh, Globo, which is a Brazilian outlet, here is what they had written. Um, Jose Aldo is out of his UFC 250 fight, Cruz is going to step in. Verbal agreements are in place. The reason why Aldo's work visa for the U.S. recently expired and the American embassy in Brazil is not renewing the documents because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Okay. 
So that's the first part of this. Um, the second part is then Cruz and Cejudo went back and forth on Twitter and Cruz put this on Instagram and Twitter. Dear at Henry Cejudo, the real king has already been told that we're fighting May 9th. I'll see you there. P.S. Bring your other tiny little friend, uh, Captain uh, Captain Das Americas, Eric Albertine, uh, so I can slap you both around. Signed, sealed, and delivered. One more note about this from Guillermo Cruz over at MMA Fighting, who of course lives in Brazil. The original arena that UFC 250 was going to be held at is actually going to be turned into a field hospital so Brazil can use it to battle with the global pandemic. It's the, and I'm sure I'm going to pronounce this wrong, the Ibira, Ibira Puera Gymnasium in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Um, yeah, so keep that in mind. Okay, so what can we say about this? Well, again, I'm going to repeat it one more time. We have no idea if this is really, 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 really true because the UFC has not confirmed it. I got to tell you, it's a, uh, it's a strange turn of events for um, Dominic Cruz. First thing I'll note, though, in as I said last segment with Rose Nama Yunus, fighters are going to have a lot of different factors affecting their calculation about whether or not they take fights and whether or not they can take fights. Ones who are out of the country, as you can well imagine, they're going to have a hard time getting here, if at all. That's going to change the calculus if the champs are U.S.-based about who else gets title shots, right? Because they didn't give one to Aljamain Sterling, I don't think, or he passed it up. Or as well, Corey Sanhagen, or he passed it up. They went right to Dominic Cruz. I would love to know what the calculus is there because if you have an American champ and you're also an American contender, it stands to reason, at least for now, that's going to up your chance of getting a title shot. Now, even then, it doesn't guarantee things because if you look at the rankings for bantamweight, they go something like this. Obviously, Cejudo is your champion. Then Sterling is your, well, Marais is your number one contender, but they're not going to do that right away. Then you had Sterling sitting out there. I don't know if he was available or offered. Peter Yan, I don't believe, is based in the U.S. Sandhagen is. He's four. Asuncao was supposed to fight Cody Garbrandt. He's sitting at five. Aldo is sitting at six. Munoz is sitting at seven. Rivera, eight. Garbrandt, nine. He's out anyway. Font is ten. Um... 11 is Cody Stamen, 12 is John Dodson, 13 is Song Yadong, 14 is Marlon Vera, and 15 is Hione Barcelos. Quite literally, Dominic Cruz is not even ranked. Now, we all know he is a man of high ability, quite literally a former champion in the weight class, maybe one of the best, if not the best, bantamweights ever. And then on top of that, we know that he has been staying active. He's, had a, he's tried to have a couple of comebacks. Some of them have been successful. They get delayed. He's been commentating. We'll go through his timeline in just a second. But it should speak volumes to everyone that the UFC, again, we don't know if they offered one to Sterling or to Sanhagen, but the fact that they went to somebody not even ranked, and I get it, Cruz is sort of like an anomaly for like the non-ranked guys. not like you're going to some scrub. You're going to a former champ who's just had some injury woes and a lot of time off. I get it. Still, the fact of the matter is not even ranked. That's crazy, crazy. So for all the complaints about to what extent Aldo didn't deserve the title shot, and he didn't, it's hard to make an argument in the case for Cruz, dot, 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 under traditional circumstances. Clearly, what we are dealing with is the opposite of traditional. So consider that. Also, 
as I'd indicated with Rose Namajunas, fighters are going to have all different kinds of calculations about when they take fights and under what circumstances. Rose pulled out of UFC 249 for undisclosed reasons. No one knows exactly what that means. Is a family member affected and she wants to be there for whatever kind of reason? We don't know. Did she not feel comfortable with the safety protocols or the process or the situation or whatever? Could be. We don't know. Um, Some fighters are not going to want to take the fights no matter what. Some are going to be on the bubble and some have no problems taking it. And you can understand why they might be in any of those situations. We had indicated that the group that has, I would say, one, um, financial freedom to an extent, like they make more, is probably going to be more inclined, um, depending on the matchup, to not take a fight. The exceptions to that are going to be something like a Justin Gaethje getting a chance to fight a Tony Ferguson. Or if you're Dominic Cruz, this is an incredible opportunity if you don't mind some of the other risks associated with the pandemic. He's based in California. He does not have a long way to travel, relatively speaking. That probably plays a role. Number two, you're unranked, and you get to come right back to a title shot? I mean, that is basically unheard of. Basically. I I don't remember exactly where Randy Couture was when he had retired after the third Liddell fight and then came back and fought Tim Sylvia, uh, up a weight class, no less. I don't remember exactly where he was. Still, it's something akin to that. Now, you're asking about where Dominic Cruz has been. Just to sort of recap his his career up to this point. It goes something like this. So, he fought uh, twice in 2011. He missed all of 2012. He missed all of 2013. He fought once in 2014 when he had that unbelievable performance against Takeya Mizugaki at UFC 178 September. Then he missed all of 2015. He came back and fought TJ Dillashaw, controversially, but he won. Uh, And he became the champion again at that point. Then he defended it against Faber at UFC 199 in 2016, so he fought twice in 2016. Then a third time he fought and lost to Cody Garbrandt at UFC 207. It's now 2020, and he hasn't fought since. (laughs) Basically three and a half years. Basically. Uh, And he hasn't fought since, and he's going to get a title shot just by virtue of the fact that he's a... So certainly he's a well-respected fighter, but in terms of what he's been up to recently, um, you know, the answer is in terms of fighting, not. Now he was supposed to come back earlier this year. Um, he was supposed to fight. Let's see, John. Let's see. He was supposed to fight Jimmy Rivera at UFC 219, and he had a broken arm and he couldn't fight. He was supposed to fight John Lineker at UFC 233, and he had to pull out that fight with an injured shoulder. And then Cruz was supposed to fight Henry Cejudo again, or you know, he's scheduled to it, but it's believed anyway, for May 9th. So there's been a couple of times where he was supposed to come back and he couldn't quite make it. Um, I don't know what the fans are going to say about this one because I think Cruz is he's so visible as an entity in that broadcast booth. It's not like he's gone away from the sport. Like He's not like he had four years of just, you know, Todd Duffy, when he went away, he just went away and no one even heard from him. It's not like that. He's kind of still been out there. He has that ESPN show that he does, or he had done at times anyway, with Forrest Griffin and Gilbert Melendez talking about technique. He makes the rounds on interviews. I've talked to him in the last year a couple of times. Um, you know, he's he's busy. He's busy. Uh, it's just, and, and also, the other part is, because the circumstances are so unusual, I suspect there's going to be a pretty strong element of the fan base that is going to be supportive of this idea. Um, 
because Cruz certainly has a bigger name value than the top contenders who are available, whether it's Marish, Sterling, or Sandhagen. And he's willing to step up and fight in these unusual conditions. I think that will buy him a degree of credibility with parts of the fan base. For other parts of the fan base, it will probably be annoying to them that he decided to compete under these conditions. You're allowed to make this call however you'd like. But it's a really, really unusual and interesting situation. And I think the implications here should be noted. More of these cancellations are going to happen. Yes, the ones that are from the outside of the country trying to come in, that's going to be the obvious ones that kind of get crushed. Some might get through. Most will not. We'll see how the UFC deals with that, if at all. Um, And the ones who are stateside, pay attention to the calculations that they make here. If you have financial freedom, and if they had offered Cruz a fight against Sterling, maybe he would have taken it, maybe he wouldn't have, right? Because maybe you have the money in your pocket, and it may not just be worth it to you to fight a top contender, because what do you get after that? Maybe you get a title shot, maybe Marais is in front of you. But if they just offer you UFC gold, and you haven't fought in basically four years, that's going to affect someone's calculus in a very obvious and direct way. Doesn't have It doesn't solve any of the problems that the Aldo fight posed in terms of meritocracy. But we are in such an unusual condition, I really and truly wonder if that will matter. Moreover, if Cruz somehow manages to win, which will be interesting to see if he can do that, uh, it would be a, a truly epic performance. To be off that long, to skip the entirety of the queue. How old is Dominic Cruz? He is 35. Yeah, he just turned 35. You know, that's for the for the, for the... Younger weight class for the excuse me for the smaller weight classes they tend to trend a little bit on the young side. He doesn't have a whole lot of time left. You could even make a case, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, this might be his last chance to even fight for a title. So you might understand why he'd be somewhat enthusiastic about taking it. If in fact it, this is really all true, which I suspect that it is, the global usually gets global and Combache usually get this one right. So there you have it, man, Dominic Cruz appears to be set to fight in what can only be described as... A, I mean, what other circumstance would there have to be for somebody unranked to skip all 15 top contenders and get a title shot? It would have to be something like this, where people can't travel in and out of the country. A lot of top contenders don't have big names. They might have been declining fights anyway. And they have to just go to what the UFC considers the next best thing. Kind of wild. By the way, also one thing to note, if I memory serves, how many of these guys are based on one part of the country? So you've got Moraish, East Coast. Sterling, East Coast. Jan, obviously not, not relevant. Sanhagen, I think he's out of Denver. Asunsao, sort of Georgia, right? Aldo, not relevant. Munoz, I think Vegas. Rivera, East Coast. Garbrandt, uh, uh, Upper East Coast, obviously. Garbrandt, not relevant. Font, Boston. Stamen, Michigan, although I think he moved to Extreme Couture. Dodson, he is in New Mexico. Song Yudong, I think Sacramento, if he's here in the country at all. Marlon Vera, he has another fight already at UFC 249. And then Barcelo, so I'm guessing is based out of uh, Brazil. So point being is here, you got a number of these top contenders who are just based in the hot spots as it relates to COVID-19 outbreak in the United States. It's a hell of a time, man. It's a hell of a time. You're, this is not the last fight card that's going to get some changes, and it's going to be really interesting to see how those break up along 
you know, what, what are the calculations for the UFC that goes into what fights get offered? And what are the calculations that goes into fighters in terms of taking it? The Cruz one, in addition to the Namunis one, all of them are going to be highly instructive over time. Basketball has become a global game. From legends such as Hakeem Olajuwon and Dirk Nowitzki to today's superstars like Giannis and Luka Doncic. Giannis to the rim, slam it with the left hand. There's no shortage of international talent in the NBA. World of Basketball with Fran Fraschilla is a podcast dedicated to profiling the players, coaches, and executives who have led the way in growing the sport in their countries. New episodes are available Thursday on the SiriusXM app and Pandora Podcasts. All right, joining me now on the hotline is the top UFC strawweight. I want to check in with her because we're all kind of sitting at home. Lots of things happening in the world that are kind of crazy. just want to see how she's doing. It's Tatiana Suarez. Hi, Tatiana. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? All right, Tatiana, before we get to anything else, how are you coping with the uh, quarantine? I know from your Instagram, you're a big dog walker. You like to get outdoors. Have your, has, how has your life been impacted by all of this? Um, I guess the only difference would be that I don't get like mitt work and stuff with my coaches. I can't go live anyways, so it's not even that big of a difference. Um, I still do like my lifting, my cardio, um, and then I get my physical therapy in, which is really important. So it really doesn't like, it hasn't really impacted me that much because I haven't been going live in the first place. So I don't really need people. So it's. It's not a big deal. <laughs> so are you training like what out of your garage or just having a couple of friends here or there? Like what's walk walk me through a day, let's say. No, so I have um I actually have like a bunch of strength strength stuff. So I I use that here and then like if I have to do cardio, I'll just do it like out and about. Like say I go to the nearest park or something and I'll wear a mask. I'll do that. Which it's way harder to do with the mask on <laughs> than without a mask. So that's that's pretty, uh, that's, I mean, that's cool. Different type, t- different type of training, I guess. And then um, I have a, a bag in my um, my garage, so I do that. And then my boyfriend, whenever I want, like, he'll hold mitts for me. Right. He he is a fighter as well or a trainer? Uh, yeah, he, he fights too, yeah. Okay, good to go. All right, so by the way, like the, uh, the mask thing, are you, how do you get your groceries? Are you doing the whole six feet away, like... Like, are you managing yeah. everything in that process? Yeah. Um, so um, I just go and I wear my mask. And then they, they're they actually the, the store that I go to is really, really like they're strict about how you move around the store. So it's not even that like I don't feel like I'm, you know, breaking any rules or whatever. <laughs> so um, they actually make it pretty easy to like um, stay where I'm supposed to be and 10 feet apart or whatever, or six feet apart. And, um, but like, I wanted to do the whole like, um, grocery thing, you know, where they deliver it. But I guess, um, like, because the stores are so short on things, like they're like, Oh, we don't have that. Or we don't have that. Or we don't have that. So it just becomes a problem. And then by the end, by the time they bring my groceries, I have like two items and I ordered like 60. So it's like, I just have to go and do it myself. Fair enough. By the way, do you have any like quarantine recommendations? Have you been binging on Netflix or Disney Plus or anything like that? Yeah, so I have one show that I just started watching. It's really funny. It's called Happy. Happy? What what is that show? So, um, it's about this guy and he was a cop before, but then he he kind of like went kind of crazy cuz he saw some crazy stuff, I guess. And um he ended up like I think he killed the guy that did the crazy thing so he ended up getting in trouble 
Well, I don't want to tell you the whole thing, but then he has like, he, he finds out he has a daughter and his daughter was actually kidnapped. And then the, like he has like a, she had an imaginary friend that goes and gets him to help him find the, I don't know. It's crazy. It's, 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 and the imaginary friend's like a unicorn. It's really, really funny. It's, it sounds like a kid's thing, but it's completely not kids friendly. <laughs> like there's like way, there's like a lot of inappropriate stuff in there, but it's really, really funny. This is on Netflix? Yeah, it's on Netflix. It's called Happy. Yeah, did you did you watch real quickly? Did you watch Tiger King? Of course, yeah. Thumbs up or what? Um, yeah, one hundred percent. It's like super funny. Like it's 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 just like so <clears throat> weird. Like it's so crazy that it almost feels like unreal. Like almost like you know what I mean. Like mm-hmm. everything in about it is just so crazy that you're like this can't be real. Like it can't, and it's real. It's one hundred percent real. So you're like this is this crazy. All right, if we can, can we get a health update from you? You said you can't go live, so we haven't seen you in a while. I know you stay physically active. I know I think you're like a Gymshark rep, if I'm not mistaken, or they sponsor you. So you're out yeah. there, actually, you're getting exercise, but what what is the deal with your, I'm assuming it's the neck, of course. Right, so um, my neck is um, still injured, and so right now I'm going through like lots of physical therapy, um, and um, I'm working with like my coaches and everything. So like all my strength program, it's all programmed around my neck. Um, like trying to um, strengthen strengthen my body, but not injure my neck further. So um, that's really good. Um, and then I started working with Iron Neck recently, so I'm doing that as well. So hopefully everything that I'm doing during this time off, because I have tons of time. It's not like I, I have you know like before I was doing like four hour sessions at the gym with my coach and it was definitely taking away from you know like um more of the physical therapy standpoint but now all I do is I stay here I can't go anywhere anyways so I just sit here and I work out and I do tons of physical therapy all day like I'll I'll do it in the morning and then I'm like well I have tons of time so I might as well do it again so I mean like people are like binging on all these like uh shows and like I love I love TV shows and stuff, but like most of the time, like I only get like maybe an hour a day of, of TV. Hmm. So. Now, can you give us a sense of what the physical therapy is? I mean, are they having you stretch it? Are they having you, obviously if you're using the iron neck, it sounds like it's also a, a sense of, uh, you know, strengthening the muscle and musculature around it in the shoulder girdle area. So like, what is, what, what do they have you doing? Right. So, um, so before, so before like I was having like the nerve issues and stuff, they gave me a shot. It didn't really help or anything like that. So we dug deeper into it and I, I sought out like um some like my coach right now, he sought out a physical therapy therapist. Um so um we started working with him and basically what they were saying was that we have to strengthen like because I've been injured for a while, um what started to happen is now is like I start to brace and so it's making it even worse. Like I use my traps and stuff, which pulls on my neck. And instead of using my back muscles, I'm using my traps. So that's pulling on my neck. It's making it worse. So now what I have to do is I have to fix that and basically reprogram my body so that I'm not further injuring my neck. Um, and then when I train, um, it's not making it worse when I train as well. Hmm. Okay. And so these sessions are what, like an hour or something like that? Um, yeah, usually like an hour or more. It depends on, um, like the day, but a lot of times, like I spread it out throughout the day. So I do something in the morning, 
uh, like an hour. And then I do it later at night, like an hour. So it's sometimes like two hours a day. Yeah. And how do you feel? Like, do you feel, you must feel pretty good having this kind of time off from all my friends who still train jujitsu. They're like, wow, I haven't trained in three weeks. I actually feel pretty great. Um, (laughs) I wonder if you feel a little bit better. Um, yeah, I definitely feel really good because I'm doing all this physical therapy. Um, and all I do is shadow box and like I hit mitts a lot of times. Um, and then I hit the bag, but like, I'm not doing like three hour, three to four hour mitt sessions anymore. So that's like definitely saving, you know, um, the impact and stuff like that on my neck. So, um, it's actually been good to like rest in that area. Like now it's almost like I liked, cause I, I'm like, a, I'm a, I'm like a workhorse. Like sometimes they have to push me out of the gym, you know? So, um, now this is like giving me an opportunity to like step back a little bit and really focus on physical therapy because it wasn't getting any better. Um, so, you know, here I am at home doing more physical therapy. (laughs) I mean, I wouldn't ever call this pandemic a great thing, but in the sense that it doesn't put pressure on you to come back right away, do you, do you sort of feel like because the world, I mean, I realize the UFC is continuing on, but you wouldn't be eligible right. anyway. And so do you sort of feel like it's, is, is this a bit of a silver lining in any kind of way? Uh, I mean, I, I try to look at everything like in terms of like, you know, glass half full kind of thing, but I definitely want to, I'm definitely itching to get back in there. You know, my, my weight class has, you know, it's moving on and, um, and definitely like I'm a very competitive person. I love to compete. Like when I'm done fighting, like after I'm done fighting, I'm like, damn, now I got to wait like another few months to fight again. Cause you know what I mean? Like, and it sucks because I love to compete. So the first thing that ha- like occurs in my mind, like I'm like, okay, I won. I'm really happy, but I'm sad that it's over, you know? Cause like you go through fight week and all that other stuff. And then all of a sudden, you're done and you have to wait all over again. So you have to start over the process. So, um, I definitely want to get back in there and I want to compete. So it's been, it's been challenging, you know, but I'm always like, you know what? I can't, can, I can't control that. So I, the only thing I can control is just to get better and then become a better martial artist in the meantime. And then when I go back out there, you know, be even better than I was before. Uh, every fighter is going to have a different answer to this, so don't feel pressure to say one way or the other. I just want your perspective. If you were healthy and you were offered a show under these conditions, right, where we have this coronavirus outbreak, um, how likely would you be to accept a fight under these conditions? Mm, I definitely, most likely I'd fight, yeah. But um, if, 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 it would be only if, you know, um, if there was, if there was a lot of like protocols and stuff that I could, it could minimize my exposure to other people. You know what I mean? Cause it's not really about me. Um, it's really about like other people. So, um, you know, like when my, I was telling my mom yesterday cause I, I was wearing my homemade mask and I was like, I don't feel like this is going to protect me that much. And she's like, well, it's not going to protect you, but it'll protect other people from your like droplets and stuff like that. And I was like, okay, well, as long as I'm doing my part. Right. So, um, so yeah. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Cause we were, I was discussing it earlier. Dominic Cruz, it looks like he's going <laughs> to fill in against Henry Cejudo. And I didn't realize this cause I hadn't looked it up. 
He hasn't fought in three and a half years, and he's going to get right to a title shot. He's unranked. Well, he's, I shouldn't say unranked. He's not ranked in the top 15. It's like if you're 35 years old, you haven't fought in three and a half years, and they're offering you a title shot, I would imagine a lot of fighters, even with those conditions, would probably accept it under those circumstances, right? Yeah. So for a second, I was so confused because you said Dominic Cruz, and I don't know why, but Dominic Reyes came out of my mind, and I was like, what? Dominic Reyes is fighting. He's going to drop to bantamweight, Tatiana. <laughs> I was like, what is going on right now? No, the quarantine's not that crazy. I was just sort of pointing out every because certain fighters are like, "Oh no way." Certain fighters are like, "Well, it would depend on the circumstances," and some are like, "I would do it no matter what." Uh, right. But it also depends on what fight they're offering you and where you are in your career. It sounds like. Yeah, I mean, like I said before, I, I'm always like I love to fight, so it really wouldn't matter if I was healthy and I wanted, to, like, if I wanted to get a fight in. Because for me, before this happened, it was really, really tough for me to get a fight. Like. After I fought, um, who was it? Um, Carla Esparza. Uh, they t- it took nine months to get me an opponent. So I was sitting there like I was completely injury free for nine months until a week and a half before I actually fought. So I was like, you know, it was pretty frustrating uh, when I did get injured. I'm like, I've been training this entire time. I've never been injured. And now all of a sudden I get injured right before my fight. It was like, mm. really, really frustrating. And I think it was a lot of like overtraining, you know, like I was training for so long and um, I was like just trying to stay ready and like nothing happened. And then when they told me, oh, you know what, we're going to have you fight Nina. But they're like, yeah, we're going to have you fight Nina in March. So I was get, getting ready you know, to fight her in March. And all of a sudden they're like, oh, we're going to, we're going to make you guys fight in June. And I was like, June. And so it was like, you know, a few more months later. So mm. it was, even, I, I just feel like when I got to that point, um, I had been training so hard that, um, that's, I think that's why I got injured. Hmm, maybe so. Uh, let me yeah. pick your brain if I can with the division you had indicated. Now, Rose, it turns out, for undisclosed reasons, is not going to fight Andrade in the rematch. Just, It's not a fight that's even going to happen, but just to get your perspective, what do you think would have happened in that second fight? I think, really, it depends on um, Rose's mindset at that. You know, um, I think her last fight with um, Andrade... She did super well up until the point where she, you know, she got slammed. I do feel like the momentum was kind of turning in uh, Andrade's favor. But um, at that point, like, I feel like she was putting a lot of pressure on Rose. And Rose was just like, she couldn't, you know what I mean? Like, she couldn't deal with it. And I feel like it's really tough to deal with that much pressure for, I mean, they were to go for five rounds. So, um, you know, that's a lot. So, I think, um, you know, um I really, I don't know, but that's the thing. Like, I feel like it would have been interesting because, I mean, I doubt anybody predicted, oh, she's going to get slammed on her head again and knocked out. You know what I mean? So it's it's definitely um, disappointing to see that they're not going to fight because um, I definitely wanted to see how that would play out. But I really, it's really one of those things, like, it could have been, like, Rose dominated and knocked her out or, or um, you know, ended it in one of the rounds or you know, it went the distance and, um, Andrade maybe got like a slight favorite, but there were, were they going to do like just three rounds, huh? Just three. Yeah. Oh, okay. That, that changes a lot. Yeah. It's a different fight at that point. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think, I think Rose could have done it. Um, but you know, who knows? 
Now, the other one, of course, that just happened, uh, Zhang Weili taking on Yoani and Jacek. I'm sure even though these are essentially your rivals in the division, you certainly must have been impressed by that. Yeah, it was amazing. Um, I've, I've spoken about it before, but um, I think that they did a really good, great job um, of representing, you know, women's MMA. Um, that's important because, you know, the sport, despite the fact that, you know, like I think we're probably the only sport um, when it comes to like men and women that pay, you know, the same. Like in basketball, you see billionaires and then you see the women and they're making you know, hundreds of thousands or whatever. I don't know what they make, so I can't can't say that. But I definitely know that there's a price, um, a difference in, in salaries there. But, um, but you know, for women's MMA, um, there's still a lot of people that believe that women shouldn't fight. So when they see these really, really um, competitive and amazing fights like this, it does really, really good thing for women's MMA in general. And then also, you know, um, it breaks barriers for younger girls that want to, fight in the future you know I think um I think girls still think like hey you know um I'm gonna make get made fun of because I I fight or um I and and I know this because girl young girls have come up to me and said hey you know like this person's making fun of me saying I shouldn't fight and that it's for boys and this and that I was like well you know if you love it then do what you want to do and if you're truly passionate about it then keep doing doing what you're doing. Don't really, I mean, don't care. You shouldn't care what people think about you. So I know it's easier said than done for younger kids, but um, I dealt with it and um, I'm still here. So, but um, I definitely think that it was a really great thing and I was really impressed and I was really happy that, you know, they could put a great performance on for the entire world. So last question then, what have you made about Zhang Wiley as a champion? Obviously she's a formidable uh, fighter, but certainly, I don't think she's been tested yet in the totality of ways that somebody like you potentially could. So we know she's talented, but um, right. give me your sense of her as a, as a challenge. Um, I think she's a great competitor. Uh, I obviously think she has really, really great stand-up. Um, she has a really good gas tank. Um, but, you know, like, I, like you said, uh, I would really, you know, um, like to see how she is in the grappling department because... You know, like I've seen a very small glimpse of what she can do. Um, so, you know, it'll be really um, interesting to see, you know, uh, our matchup and how we match up together in terms of that mm -hmm. aspect. Um, because I know that people are like, well, you know, um, you can't wrestle for this amount of time. And I'm like, I can wrestle for a long period of time. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> so, you know. So um, that's that's kind of the crazy thing about it. So and and you know I've prepared for a long like a long time, uh, wrestled for a long time. So I have that stamina in the wrestling department. So it's really interesting to see how she will fare with that. And the Fair enough. That I bring, yeah. Yeah, I, I hope to see it. I hope to see it soon. But in the meantime, stay safe, stay indoors to the extent you have to, and uh, get healthy. We really appreciate your time, Tatiana. Thank you. I appreciate you having me on. 
Sirius XM's got a new podcast series getting you ready for the upcoming NFL Draft. With the first pick. Hosted by NFL Radio's Bruce Murray. Each episode focuses on a specific position and features in-depth analysis and interviews with top prospects. Right now, you can check out our quarterback episode, which showcases conversations with Joe Burrow, Tua Takabaloa, Justin Herbert, and more. New episodes drop every Monday leading up to the NFL Draft. Just download the Sirius XM app, search NFL Draft previews, and enjoy. All right, let me get to this. So this has been really interesting. And I said this the other day, and um, if you want to be the only game in town, careful what you wish for. Because there's going to be some good things to it, and there's going to be some bad things to it. Now, the good parts to it are going to be fairly obvious. You you can monopolize people's attention. I mean, that's a strong word, but you have no competition. I mean, your chances of getting some eyeballs one way or the other, you would think that would help you. And it's debatable, I suppose, but not a crazy thought. Um, And you might be able to get attention, not merely in volume, but from particular segments of the, in this particular case, sports-watching public that you ordinarily didn't get before. You should have some some managed expectations about that, but it seems also like a plausible thing to consider. The bad part is, though, you might also invite more scrutiny. And if you invite more scrutiny, some of that scrutiny might end up resulting in good things for you. Some of it might result in the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal trying to figure out what you're up to, which has happened already this week and continues to. So earlier in the week, Kevin Draper of the New York Times in, was not the first to report that the UFC was going to Tachi Palace, um, but he, it was Jeff Sherwood. I want to be very clear about that. So shouts to Jeff Sherwood. But the New York Times obviously can magnify that signal by a million times, and they had independently confirmed it. Okay, So that's the first thing. Then you had the Wall Street Journal going in there and saying, if the UFC can turn in 42 events in a calendar year, they're entitled to $750 million in revenue from these various forms of the contracts that they have. And that was really what was motivating them because they're only seven fights deep in the year into this particular run. So, you know, I I had this big moment when Dan Levitar was like, oh, the MMA media is more, you know, they're not as critical as uh, the outside media. And the reality is that's simply, the, the, the bulk of information tells us that is not true. The bulk of the information tells us that it used to be the case. That used to be the case that the internal MMA media was very much cheerleaders and it was the outside forces that were the ones providing scrutiny. That has flipped. That relationship has changed. Now, in general, it is the outside media that does says nothing and it is the inside media that are the ones that, being closest to the product, tend to raise the most concerns. You can decide for yourself which of those get it right, but that seems to be the general trend. Still, this week... With the UFC going about it the way they're going about it, you know, literally trying to host sports during a pandemic, they have invited a great degree of scrutiny. Not really inside MMA media, but now outside as well. I had mentioned those other two articles. It continues. It continues. So in an article that came out, I think, yesterday, again, Kevin Draper of the New York Times, the headline is, Dana White says UFC 249 is being cautious. Is that good enough? He goes in through an article and asks a series of questions that I find really, really interesting. First thing he finds out is that, um, one, here's what he says. But with the showcase, UFC 249 just 10 days away, 
It's unclear how White and the UFC could ensure safety of an entertainment ven- venture that, unlike a grocery store, is not essential. I'm glad he wrote that because a lot of people seem to think that, like, well, well, if the grocery store is full of people, then why can't the, you know, why can't we just hold this event? It's like, well, number one, grocery stores are essential to essentially civic life. Cage fights are not. Number two, the the mayor here in my hometown just passed a rule saying. Um, all of the grocery stores have to m- mandate masks. They all have to make sure that the aisles are all one way so people aren't coming and going. They have to mandate social distancing six feet apart, how many people can be in the grocery store at once, like all kinds of stuff, right? So the grocery stores could be doing a better job of handling the particular responsibilities, but that's not the same thing as saying that um, because there are difficult circumstances in one place, it, w- it makes a difference if it's any other place. But here is the bigger uh, two key takeaways from the article that I want to mention. Here's the first one. Quote, the closest major hospital, which could be needed if fighters get hurt, is a 40-minute drive away. And a hospital spokeswoman said her employers had not heard a word from the UFC as of Wednesday. The Native American tribe that is providing the site, a casino that was shuttered because of the virus, has previously sought help with fights from the California state referees, judges, and other officials. But the UFC is on its own now as it evades regulators who have told it not to proceed. And with the UFC having insisted on pressing forward, he writes, despite additional objections from combat sports doctors and public health officials, some legal experts believe that county and state officials could step in even though the April 18th event is being staged on sovereign tribal land. UFC, of course, just says we're going to make, take every precaution to make sure everyone is safe. Obviously, fans won't be there. Blah, 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 blah. Quote, but putting on a full fight card with 24 fighters requires dozens of personnel, including production staff, referees, judges, medical staff, coaches, and UFC officials, which would contravene the president's guidance that gatherings should be limited to 10 people or fewer. Yeah, here's the part about this. Dana White previously said we couldn't do shows. I remember this explicitly. But they had, once it went down from like 100 to then 50 to then 10 people, they couldn't abide by that. I don't know how you can abide by the 10-person rule. In this particular case, because even if you have less than 10 people, you're going to have two people fighting and then a referee next to them to separate them. So there's no real way to abide by the CDC regulations on, on you can, you can abide by them on tribal lands by ignoring them because you're not bound by them. But this is why they can't do it on any other place other than Native American territory. It's because they'd be bound by the CDC guidelines. Uh, they're just not going to adhere to them, it appears. I don't know how you can. Um, White and UFC officials have asserted that the fighters will have access to emergency care. The Community Regional Medical Center in Fresno, California is the only level one trauma center within a three-hour drive of the Tachi Palace Casino Resort near Lemoore, California. The UFC has not been in touch with the hospital, said Mary Lisa Russell, a spokeswoman for the hospital. Um, by the way, of course, at least seven people tested positive for the coronavirus after an Olympic boxing qualifier in London last month, and the Association of Ringside Physicians has warned, you know, you shouldn't do this. It continues, though, and this was a part I didn't really, I didn't know. Dana White told Brett Okamoto that there was going to be a commission overseeing it, but he didn't say which one. That remains very interesting to me. Quote, in holding the fight on tribal land, the UFC is attempting to bypass stay-at-home orders that have been issued in nearly every state, including New York, where the fight was originally scheduled. Nevada, home to the UFC's headquarters and where it hoped to hold UFC 249 after New York rejected the event, and California. 
More importantly, while the Tachi Yokut tribe, which owns the casino and is part of the federally recognized Santa Rosa Indian community, retains sovereignty over its land, that doesn't mean state and county officials are powerless to enforce stay-at-home orders there. Of course, they didn't return any kind of uh, response. Since the 1950s, California has had criminal authority over Indian country, wrote Gabe Galanda, a member of the Round Valley Indian Tribes of California and the managing lawyer at the Galanda Broadman, a firm that focuses on tribal legal issues. He said there are gray areas um, in terms of what what you're dealing with here, but there's a law called Public Law 280 passed in 1953 um, that gives them some oversight, but unless there's – state and county officials have a stake in criminal matters as well as civil ones on tribal land because of a federal law passed in 1953, Public Law 280, all right? Um, so they can get involved if they need to. Galanda referred to a concept known as a rent-a-tribe, whereby businesses set up on tribal land to avoid state regulation and said California might intervene to stop UFC 249 – Quote, UFC is quite literally a renting a tribe for purposes of a single event in contravention of a state declaration of emergency. And that is a bad optic for the tribe and the UFC, he said. I don't think that's one that the state of California will be allowed to tolerate. That's interesting. David Robinson, sheriff of Kings County, said in an email that, um, that the county follows public law 280. And uh, but said the, the county shelter in place order cannot be enforced on tribal land. The governor's office in California did not respond for a request for comment. Um, here's another interesting part, which I didn't realize. Tachi Palace hosted MMA under the moniker Tachi Palace Fights from 2009 to 2018, but eventually got rid of it because of a reduced entertainment budget, according to somebody named Richard Goodman, who was the matchmaker for the fights. For years, the fights were unsanctioned, and Goodman hired the referees, judges, and medical personnel as independent contractors. But in 2016, he actually hired the CSAC to administer the fights. Many tribes have their own athletic commissions, but the Tachi Yokut does not. The California Commission started really coming down on us as far as not counting these fights on the professional record, Goodman said. Um, The athletic commission in California has said it will not approve any fight through at least May 31st. But the UFC has its own referees, judges, and medical personnel to hold fights. For years, the UFC sought the legitimacy of state commissions. Now, he writes, that this is immaterial as the company keeps its own records. Um, Crazy. Last thing I'd say, quote, all officials that decide to participate in the event, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, you get the idea. So here's my question. One, is the state going to get involved and shut this thing down if if the scrutiny continues? which I guess will just expedite them going to the island or something. I don't know. Or two, and also two, I shouldn't say or, but also two, who is the tribe? Well, what's, what's the athletic commission here? Because they're telling you that the Tachi Yokut tribe doesn't have one. So what, who's overseeing it? I, I would love to know the answer to that. I don't. I find that to be fascinating, to be honest with you. Because Dana White said to Brett Okamoto, there is a commission and they are regulating it. That is happening. That is actually a real thing. No doubt about it. Not one at all. Questions remain, folks. This whole thing is crazy. Questions remain. 
Thanks for listening. Catch the Luke Thomas Show live and in its entirety weekdays from 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern on Sirius XM Fight Nation Channel 156. On Twitter, follow at L Thomas News and the channel at MMA on Sirius XM.